Friends, good morning again. I invite you to turn with me now to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 20. If you have a pew Bible, you'll find this on page 930. Once a year, I preach on financial generosity. There are lots of reasons I do this annually. Primary amongst them, though, is the fact that Jesus addressed this topic uh, continually. Not because he was some kind of TV preacher, and certainly not because he ever had any wealth of his own, but because he understood that our faith and our finances are inseparable. There's a deep connection between our spiritual lives and our money. So he was not afraid to teach on this topic. Now, normally this annual sermon comes on the weekend nearest April 15th, right? Uh, it's tax day, money's on our mind, and so it's a good time to address this topic. However, this year, that weekend was Easter Sunday, which just didn't feel right. You know, he is risen. I give you your money, right? You know, I just sort of, like, no, that's, no, that's not what we're trying to do here. So here we are uh, to address the topic this week. And whether you give generously to this church or whether you've not even considered giving before, I hope today will encourage us all to live generous lives and particularly to be generous with our money. Key verse that we're going to spend our time on is verse 35. Remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. But let's back up to verse 17 and read through to the end of the chapter, a chapter that addresses money but is also so appropriate for us as we've welcomed our new leaders to the church today. Acts 20, starting verse 17. Now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus... And called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. 
You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. To your leading as to how we would be changed by this grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please. Acts 20, 35. Remember, remember the words of our Lord Jesus. How he himself said... It is more blessed to give than to receive. Remember these words. Do you remember these words? Remember where Jesus said these words in the gospel? Our minds scanned through. I felt guilty for not knowing. And then I discovered that this phrase is actually not recorded in the Gospels. This is a saying of Jesus that Paul is quoting. Perhaps he heard it from one of the disciples. Perhaps he heard it from Jesus himself who met with Paul personally. We don't know, but either way, Paul here is quoting Jesus, a quote that is not recorded in the Gospels. Now, does this mean we should be cynical about it? Uh, Doubt whether it really is a statement from Jesus? You know, Paul needs a little cash. This seems a little convenient, you know. Uh, Remember what Jesus said, you know. It's kind of like when your kids say, you know, Dad says it's my turn. It's like, well, did Dad really say that? I don't know. Is this a a statement of convenience by Paul? We say, of course not. Remember the Gospel of John where we read that there are also many things that Jesus did. And were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. The Gospel accounts are a faithful uh, account of, of Christ's life. But they are not exhaustive. They tell us everything we need to know about Christ, but they certainly don't tell us everything that he ever did or even everything that he ever said. He would have said many things that went unrecorded. And don't you wonder what some of the others were? And perhaps one day in heaven we'll find out. No, we can trust that Jesus spoke these words. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And I think they're excellent. Why? Because they just don't really make much sense. It's very like Jesus to say, to say something like this. Uh, he's quick to say the unexpected. He's quick to disarm our expectations. He's quick to turn things upside down. Surely we think to be blessed means to get something. Surely when we receive a kind word or a, a kind deed or some financial generosity, surely then we are blessed. And Jesus says, well, yes, of course there's blessing there. But there's more blessing to be found elsewhere. You are more blessed not as you get something, but as you give something. In the gospel economy, blessing comes by subtraction, not by addition. To give is to get. Well, okay, we say, but how does that work? How does that practically work in our lives. How are we really more blessed when we give than when we receive? I'm glad you asked. I have 15 reasons. We could brainstorm many more, perhaps do that in your community groups. I think we only have time for seven. Uh, all 15 would take us up to the evening service. So let's, uh, let's just start with seven. Seven biblical reasons that is more blessed to give 
than to receive. Number one, note takers, number one, it is more blessed to give than to receive because generosity yields the best return. Generosity yields the best return. Do you remember in Matthew 6, Jesus is talking about generosity and he says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Don't spend time amassing worldly wealth. Why? Because moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. The stuff you have wears out. The stuff you have breaks. And if it doesn't, then someone might come and steal it. Instead, Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven. Live in such a way that you're not accumulating wealth now, but are accumulating wealth in heaven. In heaven, where moth and rust don't destroy, and where thieves don't break in and steal. Invest in a way that won't make sense just three years from now, or 30 years from now, but 30 million years from now. That's where you should lay up treasure. It made me think of uh, when we were about to emigrate, when we were about to leave Scotland and, and, and come to the States, come to a, a different land. We had lots of, of Scottish money. But, but what did I do? Well, with about two weeks to go, I exchanged all that money for dollars. I only kept as much as I needed to get by for those next couple of weeks. Why? Because I didn't want to show up in a new land with worthless Scottish money. Right? I was investing in a way that made sense for the land I was going to, not for the land I was in. And so Jesus says, invest in a way that makes sense for the land that you're going to. Yeah, your life here on earth, it's rich and it's full and it's beautiful and it's short compared to eternity. So plan for the long haul. Plan on a return that's greater than anything earth can offer you. It's really interesting to me that Jesus' primary argument against amassing worldly wealth isn't that it's sinful to do so. His primary argument is, it's just a bad idea. It's just a poor investment. You get a bad return. Therefore, we see it is more blessed to give than to receive because generosity yields eternal returns. Number two, it's more blessed to give than to receive because generosity also here on earth in the meantime frees you from materialism. Generosity frees you from materialism. Here's a great verse from Ecclesiastes. Um, how, well, how well did you sleep last night? Listen to this. The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. For the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. The more you have the more you have to worry about. The more money you have, the more problems you can potentially have. The more stuff you have, the more stuff you have to worry about. He's saying that those who live simple lives aren't as fearful as those who are wealthy. Why? Because they don't have as much to worry about. Uh, this was illustrated for me in both a positive and a negative way over the last few weeks. First of all, sort of negatively, um, my wife Rosie is in the Fairfax County Fire Academy. She's becoming a firefighter, which is just such a kind of awesome thing for your wife to do. Um, but it means that I have been like doing more dad duty than ever before, including more carpool than I think in the rest of our lives combined. Anyway, uh, we're running late for something. We all jump in the car. I throw the kids in the car. Um, I press the button so the garage door comes up. I throw it in reverse and I back up before the garage door is fully open. Right? 
So I crunch the garage door and I scrape the back of my car and I think, well, I think lots of things. Um, and, <laughs> and now I think, you know, if I didn't have a garage, I wouldn't have that problem. If I wasn't suburban hashtag dad life driving a Honda Odyssey, right, I wouldn't have that problem. Stuff brings problems. Um, a more positive example was I went to a U- U2 concert up in Pittsburgh a couple weeks ago and uh, stayed the night in a hotel there. And when we left, I realized I'd, I'd, I'd left my watch in the hotel. Okay. Um, if that was a $2,000 um, Rolex, I'd have been upset. I'd have been driving the hour and a half back. I'd have been, you know, fortunately, it was a $12 Casio from Target. Right? <laughs> Do you know how much sleep I've lost over losing that watch? <laughs> like... Mm, right. <laughs> See, generosity and worldly wealth has a way of bringing concerns to our lives. Materialism holds out promise and delivers bitterness every single time. And generosity helps free us from that. Generosity, what it does is it declutters our lives so that we live more simply than we otherwise might. And I would challenge all of us, believers in Jesus Christ, we should all live more simply than we otherwise might. I'm not saying there's some bar that we should all live exactly the same way. I am saying that we should all live more simply than we otherwise might. Why? Because we're being generous with our resources. Resources we could have spent on ourselves when we're giving away to others. It declutters our lives and enables us not to worry about as much as we would otherwise worry about. We have less stuff and therefore we have less stuff to worry about. Generosity frees us from materialism. Number three. More blessed to give than to receive because generosity has a way of focusing your priorities. Focusing your priorities. You want to live a purposeful life. You want to live an intentional life. You want to live a life that you'll look back on without regret. Well, generosity plays an important role. It focuses our priorities. How is this so? Well, remember Jesus in that same passage, Matthew 6, who says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's an interesting order, isn't it? He doesn't say those things you really care about where your heart is, that's where your money will go. No, he says no, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The things you invest your money in, you'll find your heart starts to invest in more and more. So let me give you an example uh, from this week. Uh, Whole Foods. Okay, you all heard about Whole Foods. Incomes Bezos, multi-billion dollar offer. He buys Whole Foods. I know about this. That I've basically told you all I know about this, right? Um, if you have stock in Whole Foods, you know a lot more about this than I do. You know what your shares were worth before. You know what he bought them for. You know what they're worth now. You know some of the impact on the organization. You know uh, the name of the CEO. You know all sorts of things about, about Whole Foods. Why? Because y- you care about those things you invest in. Your heart has followed your investment. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a natural thing. We all care about things that we invest in more than we would otherwise. Well, in the same way Jesus is saying, where your treasure is, there your heart will be, what are those things you really want to have cared about in your life? Do you really want to have cared about the poor? Well, being generous towards the poor will focus your priorities on the poor. Start giving money to the Lamb Center, a local homeless organization, and lo and behold, you'll follow their emails, you'll know what's going on with them, you'll have a better handle on the homeless in our community, and your heart will start to invest more where you've invested your money. 
Invest in those things you want to care about when your life ends, and you'll find that you care about those things now. Generosity focuses our priorities. Your heart invests where you invest your money, so invest in priorities you won't regret. Number four, it is more blessed to give than to receive because generosity has a way of reminding you that really God is in control. Generosity reminds you that God is in control. Consider this passage from 1 Timothy 6. It's a really important passage for us, I think. 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, and if Paul was speaking to us, that would be 99% of us in this room. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They, that's us, are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves, not in this world, but in the next, as a foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. What a powerful passage. First Timothy six seventeen through 19. He's saying, warn the rich not to put their hopes in their wealth, because he knows that wealth has a tendency to bring with it an illusion of control. It's not, it's not a necessity, it's a, it's a tendency. With it, wealth tends to bring an illusion of control. When you have money, you can buy your way out of a lot of immediate problems. When you have money, you can also feel a sense of security from what's in your, in your bank balance. That things are going to be okay because you have the resources that you need to meet the day. An illusion of control, an illusion of security that will disappear like that with one diagnosis. Because ultimately, we're not in control of our lives. And we have no earthly security. The one who is in control and the one who makes us secure is none other than God himself. He is the only source of stability for us. And so what generosity does is becomes a spiritual discipline that helps us to live like that's actually true. For those of us who would say, amen, I believe that that's true. Well, generosity is a spiritual discipline that helps us to live like that's really true. Because when we give of our resources, what we're saying is, Lord, you have blessed me with these things, and I'm grateful for that. And I, and I use the resources you, you give me, and I'm, I'm thankful. But I also give some of them away in recognition of the fact, as an act of worship, to demonstrate that my hope is not in them. My hope isn't in these, these resources. I can gladly return them to you because I lose no control, no significance, and no security because all of those things are found in you, not in them. It's, a, it's an act of devotion. It's a spiritual discipline. If you live like God is really in control of your life, you'll be a generous person. And if you become a generous person, you'll start to live like God's really in control of your life. It's more blessed to give than to receive because generosity reminds us that God is in control. Fifth, before we change gears, it's more blessed to give than to receive because generosity gives you a clear conscience of obedience. Clear conscience of obedience. See, generosity is commanded throughout the scriptures. I could have used any number of passages. Consider Hebrews 13, 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. 
for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The scriptures command us to be generous. And there's great freedom in living in the way that God has designed. When we live in accordance with the way that God has designed for us to live, we experience a kind of freedom and a kind of of flourishing that can't be ours without obedience. It can't be ours without obedience. And when we walk in disobedience, when we don't live the way God has called, the Holy Spirit is unfortunately tenacious with us. And he presses us, and he prods us, and he convicts us, and he reminds us we're not really living as we ought to live. So, see when you arrived this morning, if you were like, a sermon on generosity, yeah? Or if you thought, April 15th, we got away with it, okay? Um, If you feel convicted on this topic, I hope and trust it's not a guilt-ridden, man-centered kind of guilt. I hope it's a spirit-wrought conviction. And honestly, the only way out of that is obedience. (laughs) The only way out of that is obedience. Because the spirit will not relent until we start to live in a way that will be best for us and bring glory to God. The Psalms are a great example of this. Read Psalm 1, read Psalm 119. See how much delight the psalmist takes in the law of God. He loves the law of God. And he just sort of goes on and on and on at length about how beautiful it is to him. Well, why is it so beautiful? Why would you love laws? The, the answer is they're a blueprint for our flourishing. And when we walk in them, we flourish. We live as God designed for us to live. And so we experience the, the freedom and the, the, the clear conscience that comes from walking in union with him. And that's a big part of why it's more blessed to give than to receive. <laughs> because God has commanded generosity. And when we give, when we're generous, we can enjoy the clear conscience of obedience. Number six, penultimate one, closing in. More blessed to give than to receive because generosity uh, makes you like Jesus. Generosity makes you like Jesus. Do you remember 2 Corinthians 8? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The whole of the gospel story can be told through this motif of generosity, through this idea of generosity. That we are a people who are poor. Poor, not just in earthly standards, but in spiritual standards, in eternal standards. We are helpless and destined to a lost eternity apart from Christ. Christ is one who is lavishly rich, wealthy beyond wealth, owns all things ruling from heaven. And yet he's not content to look down on us in our poverty. Instead, he leaves his wealth behind. He comes to earth, entering into our poverty, even dying on the cross so that we might not remain poor, but might receive the blessings of life in him. That we might partake in his wealth. That we might join him for an eternity in heaven where we would enjoy all that belongs to him. The gospel story is a story of generosity. And it's a story that comes to pass. We become Christians not when we're generous towards God, but when we realize how generous he has been toward us. That's the gospel message. You don't have to give in order for God to be pleased with you. You have to receive in order to be accepted as a child of God. 
Receive the forgiveness and the grace that he offers you today. But once that gospel has started, then, in front of our worship guide, grace changes everything. This grace that we've received starts to well up in our heart, and it changes the way that we live. And having been the beneficiaries of such generosity, it's natural and normal for us to then begin to extend generosity. Not to earn it, we already have it, but in response to it. In response to all that Jesus has given us, we want to become more like him. And so people who have experienced grace will be the most generous of people. It makes us like Christ. It makes us more like we were intended to be in the first place. It responds appropriately to the generosity we have received. It's more blessed to give than to receive because generosity makes us like Jesus. Takes us to our seventh final reason why it's more blessed to give than to receive, which is having received generosity, when we extend generosity, we start to see, point seven, that generosity advances God's kingdom. It's more blessed to give than to receive because generosity advances God's kingdom. Now, hang with me on this point because that language might be so familiar to us or it kind of might sound like blah, blah, blah. We're kind of used to hearing things like that. But to me, this is one of the most amazing things on this list. That we, you and I, creatures of dust, might be used by God to participate in things that will have eternal consequences. That God would would use us And the generosity we might extend, the decisions we might make today to bring deep life change that has fruit now and dividends for all eternity. It's an amazing thing that God would use us in this way. And generosity does that because generosity advances God's kingdom. There's all sorts of amazing things happening for God's kingdom in this world. We know, of course, that it's... uh, a world that has a lot of darkness in it, a world that's got a lot of suffering in it. But I also believe in God's economy, this is the greatest time to be alive. This is a great time to be a follower of Jesus. Today is a great day to follow Jesus. And we're seeing him do all kinds of amazing things. Just even consider in our church, as we continue to grow in number and grow in depth of relationships, as we see some 500 plus kids taught what it means to follow Jesus every week. As we come alongside adults who are struggling with divorce or grief or sexual shame or or sexual abuse. As we look out to our community and see how the Lord is using us to come alongside pregnancy centers and homeless shelters. How he's allowing us to minister to kids in downtown DC and to senior saints in nursing homes across Virginia. As we extend our our, uh, lens, not just from the church to the local community, but to the world, and see how God's allowing us to participate to help, you know, orphans in Romania and people who are desperately poor in Kenya and those who've been sex trafficked in Cambodia, we are seeing God do amazing things for his kingdom, and none of them would happen were it not for your generosity. All of these things cost money, and God has accomplishing his kingdom purposes through the generosity of his people. When we give to this church, we're facilitating that kind of kingdom work. Let me give you one more example. Um, Pick up your worship guide, if you would, and uh, turn to page 9. Let me tell you about an amazing woman that our church has recently got connected with. She's a refugee from Sierra Leone, 
Her father was killed as part of the genocide there. Her mother died a few months later under some sort of suspicious circumstances, likely that she was a victim of that genocide also. And so the whole family, after the death of the parents, the the kids, the siblings, uh, fled to the U.S. and ended up in Ohio. There, this young woman met a man. She became pregnant. They had a child together. A few years later, she became pregnant again. But upon finding out that she was pregnant again, the father of of the child decided to have no more to do with their relationship. And so one thing led to another, and she ended up back uh, here in the Northern Virginia area. Well, here she had some family. She did have some friends, but they were all very opposed to her continuing with her pregnancy. Uh, mainly because of an interesting cultural, cultural thing that in the context they grew up in, uh, adoption is more shameful than abortion. Because this notion that you would have a child who is out there somewhere, you'd have your own flesh and blood and you don't know where they are and they're being raised by, some, by someone else, that in their mindset was a, a more shameful thing than, than abortion and so they all encouraged her to terminate her pregnancy. Well, she was heading down that path when she got connected with some members from this church at the ministry called Embrace Grace. You heard a testimony about it from the pulpit a couple of months ago, but a group and an organization that seek to come alongside women who are in pregnancy crises and and help them with their material needs, with their spiritual needs, do all that they can to love them in that place. And that's what our members did. They formed a a deep friendship with her. They prayed with her. They prayed for her. They brought her meals. They did all that they could to assure her that she would not endure the struggle alone. Well, page nine of the bulletin. Look what this amazing woman has done. Patricia Kebby welcomed her child, son Thomas, on June 9th. Six pounds, 39 cents. Meal coordinator, Kendra Outlaw. (laughs) There is a child in this world, and there was a child in our 10 o'clock service who could well not be here were it not for the generosity of God's people. How they were generous with their time, how they were generous with their resources, how they were generous with all that they were, that they might advance God's kingdom in this place. And if you want to participate, then email Kendra and bring this lady a meal. I want her to have more food than Walmart. Okay? <laughs> and if Kendra's full up, then go to the next li- list, name on the list. Uh, go out of our way to show practical care and concern, giving of our time, giving of our resources so that other people might be blessed. And in so doing, participate in advancing God's kingdom. It's, yes, more blessed (laughs) to give than to receive. Because when we give, when we're generous, we're able to participate in his kingdom. Time is up. That's all she wrote. Number one, it's more blessed to give than to receive because generosity yields the best return because it frees us from materialism, because it focuses our priorities, because it reminds us that God's in control, because it gives us that clear conscience of obedience, because it makes us like Jesus, and because it enables us to participate in God's kingdom. When we embrace lifestyles of joyful generosity, we experience the rich blessing of living the lives that God intended for us to live. And isn't that the kind of person you want to be? Don't you want to be a generous person? All of us would say yes in principle. How many of us will say yes in in practice? 
Isn't this the kind of community that we want to be? A community that's known for its generosity. A church that's known for its generosity with our, with our time, with our good deeds. We're generous with, with forgiveness, but, but generous with our finances as well. The gospel offers us a compelling vision of a generous life that pays off now and then pays dividends for all eternity. How are you doing on this? Are you as generous, am I as generous as we ought to be? Deal with the Lord on that question. Go to him in prayer. Wrestle through it with him. See what, he's, see what his spirit says. And if he calls you to be more generous, then jump in because you will not regret it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonder of the gospel. How you have been so generous with us. And we want that gospel to do a work in our hearts so that we become generous with others. Not to try and repay you, Lord, (laughs) but because we want to live the lives that you have freed us to live. So help us, Lord, to be generous. Not just in principle, but in practice. And through that, Lord, would the kingdom come more and more, even here in this place called McLean. We ask in its perfect name. Amen.